0: over these past few weeks we've definitely seen God's will work out in the life of Isaac. We have seen just time after time no matter what obstacle there may be or what difficulty or humanly hurdle there may be to climb that God's will still comes to pass. And we've seen that whether that would be from Isaac's original prophesied birth. We Remember the and the frustration that Abraham and Sarah went through and uh, even Sarah offering up this servant of hers to try and bring this child to pass and yet that still wasn't God's will and God even in her old age allowed Sarah to have this child and uh, whether that would be uh, through Isaac's just... Man, we've seen just this last week where... God has now extended this promise that was made to Abraham there to Isaac, and that we've seen that this is something that will continue on to his children and to his next generations. And we remember back from chapter 25, uh, we've seen this promise that is given even uh, to his sons that there's two nations dwelling there. And so today we're really going to see all of these things come to a head. And yet today we're going to see Really, something very interesting. I think many of us are very familiar with this story. And for many of us, every time we've heard it, Jacob is always the one that sort of gets the short end of the stick. He always seems to be the worst person involved in this entire family and what's about to take place here in chapter 27. And yet that's not truly what we see here. We see all four family members here making very unwise, even sinful Decisions, all in pursuit of trying to fulfill or distort what God has already declared would happen. And so today we really look at the question of God's will. And that specific question being can God's will be thwarted? And luckily for us, we have a very comforting incommunicable or something that can not be seen in us that can be seen in God attribute that being that God is immutable. This meaning that God does not change. This meaning that God does not like us sometimes just go this way at one time and this way at others. God stays the same and in that same way his plan and his will also does not change. There's no plan B for God. He's always on the same path. There's not, well, maybe I could do this, or maybe if I do this, this will happen. God knows exactly what is going to happen, how it will happen, to see His will be done. These are things that have already been preordained, we could say, in our lives. And that we now can see on display fully this morning that no matter what sinful or wrong decision may come about, God's will can't be thrown off track. And so this morning, let's go ahead and read this first portion there in Genesis chapter 27. In verse 1 it begins and it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And it's worth noting here that when Isaac is noting his uh, elderly state, this is not to be understated. There are many much wiser scholars than myself who have already done the math for me and have come to the number of, he is at this time, 137 years old. And I think for many of us, as we get up and up in our years, there are things that you begin to think about that you don't necessarily think about in your youth. I remember at the previous church I was serving at, there was often times where when One of our staff members, her husband, would get sick. There were times where they really discussed what the plans would be if he were to pass. And the rest of our staff was very young. And so when we heard this for the very first time, it really took us aback. But as you get up in years, this just becomes more of a reality. And this is the reality that Isaac finds himself in. He doesn't know when his last day is going to be. And because of this, he does not want to miss giving this blessing to his son. Yet here we have an issue. This first sinful decision we see here is Isaac's inclination, as we'll call it. Although Isaac is old at his age of 137 and his eyesight is lacking, what has truly blinded him is his preference that we have already heard of multiple times for his son Esau. We've already heard God speak on this in that the older is to serve the younger. However, this is not the customary way of that time. The younger would always be subject to the older brother. And yet here God has sort of flipped it on itself. And yet even still, Isaac is acting rather foolishly here and that his judgment is impaired on this because the love that he has for his son. And here we're seeing that he's really putting this value on his skill and something that he does over what God has already decreed. We look there in verse 4. Or really, we could go back to verse 3, and he says, Take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. This is reciprocated again back in chapter 25, when it's laying out what these two brothers are like. Isaac has this love for Esau. He's the man's man of the brothers. He goes out and he hunts really good food. I have not uh, partaken myself, but my wife is a very big fan of venison. And for those of you that really know what it's like to eat good game and to eat that meat that is not always around, it's something that you get excited for. And this is the same sort of weakness here that Isaac has for his eldest son. This is something that keeps him drawn to his eldest, knowing full well what God has already decreed would happen. And yet as we move on, there in verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, and I want to pause right here before we get into what Rebekah does. And here we see really the second mistake that's made in this family. Again, this is not simply something that Jacob has done or something that Jacob has done wrong as so often is focused on in this story. We see here really Esau's endeavor that he has here. Esau surely has not forgotten that he has already traded his birthright to his younger brother. We remember that back from chapter 25. He's surely not forgotten this. When we have something frustrating that happens to us, so often we ponder on that thing and it can be fresh in our mind just as much as it was the very first day. And here, this means that Esau is understanding that he's really going to kind of jump his place back in line. I've made a mistake, and this is how I'm going to make up for it. And it's worth noting that while the birthright and the blessing are not identical, they are not necessarily equal here, the issue is that both pertain to the inheritance that would be received. That was the whole point of the birthright, as we remember. And yet, surely, within this blessing that their father is going to give would be all the things that would be included there in the birthright. And yet, Esau knowing all of this and pondering all of this doesn't say, Father, you know, I appreciate that you want to bless me. It means so much to me that, you know, you would go out of your way and do all of this, but I have already made a foolish, unwise decision And in a moment of weakness, I forfeited my birthright. I cannot accept this blessing. It would not be right of me. Yet that's not what we see here. In fact, we see no outright verbal response from Esau. What does he do? We see there in verse 5, When Isaac spoke to his son Esau, And Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring it. He runs out and he grabs his quiver and his bow. He doesn't give a second thought about it. He's ready to jump back in line. And he's going to make sure he does it before his dad changes his mind. Or maybe before he hears of what's happened. There's no regard for maintaining this oath that he's made between his brother. And so this is Esau's issue that he has here. Is that he's willing to undercut his brother as he feels his brother has undercut him and jump back in line. And yet in this next portion, we see the other side of all this. There in verse 6 it begins and it says, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him. And bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. In this next portion, we see what we'll entitle Rebecca's Ruse. Here we see the other half of this favoritism. We know there from chapter 25 that Isaac prefers Esau, and Rebekah prefers Jacob. And here, Rebecca overhears all of this conversation happening between Isaac and Esau. And she begins to craft this plan in order to deceive their father. And she knew all the right ways to pull the wool over his eyes. As any wife who truly knows her husband knows, she knows that Isaac's weakness is in his stomach. Anyone who's ever taken the time at one of our Wednesday nights, you know there's a lot of food and you don't see a lot of it on my plate (laughs) because I am a very picky eater. I have been since birth.